Good morning, buenos dias. My name is Tatiana Fratel, and today's scripture comes from Galatians 1, verses 3 to 10. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of God. But even if we are or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I am still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Tatiana. Wow, it's good to see everybody and to hear all the different languages. This is a beautiful community God makes us to be in Christ. And in um, English and in Spanish, we are starting a new study that is on applying the core teaching of our faith in Christ. And we start that today. It's like, okay, the idea is like, how does our faith apply in all of the areas of our lives? And today we begin with like, well, what is the faith about? What is the core of what we believe as followers of Jesus? And if you're not a follower, it'd be good to know, right? What are these, why are these people here? What is this all about? What is going on? What am I being invited into? And it's, of course, it's grace. And by the way, I see this all over our culture. Maybe you have like a radar for grace. I was reading this story about this basketball team in uh, Texas, from Gainesville, Texas, that had a very unusual basketball game that they went to play. And they're um, from Gainesville, Texas. The name of the team is the Tornadoes. You'll see their school. But if you go to their um, games, there's nobody in the stands. There's nobody watching. There's nobody cheering them on. And the reason is because it is a correctional facility for juvenile offenders in the state of Texas that have committed felonies. That is the worst sort of crimes that young people can be convicted of, right? And so they live behind barbed wire. That's where, and, and so imagine getting the chance to be on a basketball team that can travel. You get out, you get to do something. And so this team would travel, but guess what? Never any fans. No other students can go. The parents don't show up. Who knows where they are? But guess what happened? They were, they were invited to play this team in Waco, Texas, called the Vanguard College Prep School. You'll see a picture of it. And by the way, surrounding it are their merit scholars. And the reason is this is the best private school in Waco, Texas. A-list kids going to the best colleges from the best homes in the city of Waco. These are the wealthy kids. They have everything. But here's what happened. When the, the students at Waco heard that the folks from over at Gainesville, the students there who were incarcerated, are going to come over and play a game. And they knew that they didn't have any fans. Two of the students, you'll see them, their names are Ben and Hudson, said, that's not right. 
So they went to their own parents and the students who were going to come, and they said, hey, we want half of you guys to cheer for the Gainesville Tornadoes. And not only that, they went to the cheerleaders and they took half of the cheerleaders and put tornado shirts on them, you'll see. And so imagine this team showing up, they've never had a fan, there's never been cheering, and all of a sudden half of the, the, the arena is filled with these people who are just cheering them on, who are, who are every point, you know, they're, they're responding. And they have their own cheerleaders now. This is how it was explained. It said every time they scored the gym, was lit up with cheering and clapping, and everyone was on their feet. I think in a way this is kind of how sports should be. It just kind of showed to me the real impact that encouragement and support for anybody can make. You know, here is, here's this picture of grace. They didn't deserve that. These kids didn't deserve any of that. And now they're given all of this love. And by the way, at first, just the, the, uh, the folks in the stands who were assigned to cheer for them were cheering. And then soon everybody's cheering for them. Everybody is drawn in. When the game is over, one of the people went over and asked one of the students, what did you think about this? And this is what the student said from the tornadoes. He said, when I'm an old man, I'll still be thinking about this. I'm going to remember that somebody was in my corner. Somebody cheered me on. Somebody encouraged me. And I'm like, that's the gospel, right? That's the message of this faith, that, that despite what we deserve, God shows up and you find out he's in your corner. He's for you. And what begins to happen then is this love of God begins to shift everything in your life. And that's really what we're going to be looking at in this study. Would you pray together with me? Father, we need to be immersed in grace until we internalize it, until it gets to our hearts and it shifts the way we see ourselves and the way, way we see other people around us, the way we go about our work, the way, we, the way we walk together. And so I pray today, Lord, you will begin that journey in our hearts or continue it for those who have already begun in showing us what we have, what you've given to us in Jesus. And we pray together in his name, amen. It simply says in Hebrews chapter 12, this, see to it that no one misses out on God's grace. But we do, right? I mean, even those of us who went to church, I grew up going to church, maybe you did too. It's easy to feel the pressure of, wow, you've got to get better. You, you should be improving in your life. Why, why are you not growing? Why have you not accomplished that thing that you set out to do? Always improving. And so I, that's what I felt like growing up. You know, I felt like uh, because I was in church, I had this sort of inside track with God. I was in with them and other people, well, not so much. Then I learned the gospel, but this is it. I didn't really anchor my life there. I didn't make the gospel my life. I felt like this whole new way of living was then sort of all on my own shoulders to live it out. Not only did I have to live this life, right? Everyone had to see me doing it. I had to look good. I had to always look happy, even if I wasn't, even, even if I was struggling recently. I began reading a book by a hip-hop artist. His name is Marcus Tyrone Gray. He goes by the name Flame. You'll see his book here, Extra Nose. 
and you'll see a picture of Flame. I think we have that. You'll see a picture of him. He also grew up in the church. And growing up in the church, those were the messages he heard. You've got to do more. You've got to work harder. And one day, it just became sort of, it became overwhelming for him. But I'll let him tell you about it. This is what he said. One day after a Sunday church gathering, I broke on the inside. I remember the sermon was about more. More affections, more right desires, more internal examination. I came home and sat on the staircase in my living room and simply hung my head low. I can't do this anymore. I whispered to myself. I I was tired. I was trying and trying, working and working, putting myself in a position to do more. Yet the sermon that Sunday was, it was the death blow. I remember thinking to myself and lightweight praying to God saying, Lord, I don't know if I can be a Christian anymore. I just can't give you what you want. You see, he was ready to quit, feeling like a failure. And here, he was in the midst of a church that, well, they have the gospel, right? But how many of us have secretly felt that it's like, man, I'm not sure I'm ever going to be there. I'm not sure I'll ever be acceptable. Or we feel inside we're somehow blemished. Maybe it's the story you grew up in left you feeling that way, feeling that you don't measure up to what you ought to be, and, and, and feeling that somehow God is, is always disappointed with you, feeling inferior to, to really good people. By the way, you don't know what they're really going through, but they make themselves look good too, but, but you feel inferior to them. Well, this is why Jesus came, and he came to change our hearts and to build a completely new foundation for our lives. And by the way, this is what flame went on to discover. Though he had failed in his life, in many ways he learned he was loved by God, and then he began to see himself in a different way. And that's what's, what's going to happen in this study. We're going to ask, well, well, how does this, if, if we believe this about that God loves us, that we're in Christ, how does that change the way we see our marriage if we're married, our parenting if we're parents, relationships in our city? And the first question is, are you missing the grace of God? Have you missed it? How can you know? Well, Well, does your life feel more like a treadmill to run? Or it is a celebration to enjoy? Does it feel like it's a hill that you must always be climbing? Or is it a gift that you receive? And so today I want to talk talk about how we keep the main thing, the main thing. Like, what is the main thing? Why do we lose track of it? And how can we keep our our sight on it? How can we keep it the main thing in our lives? Now, this letter was written by the Apostle Paul to a region of churches, not just to one church, but a batch of churches. And by the way, he had planted these churches, and he writes this letter, and right away it sounds like no other letter he's ever written. And here's why. In the beginning of all of his other letters, he commends them. I've heard you guys are doing great, and, and you're an example to everybody else, and I know you're growing, and, and you're thriving. But, but he doesn't start this letter like this. He starts it angry. You can hear the anger come through. Listen to what he says. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He basically says something like this, you got to be kidding me. What is the matter with you people? 
What in the world are you doing? He is shocked in the, to the core. And he uses the language of desertion, like going AWOL almost, right? They've run away. And he doesn't say, by the way, that they're no longer a church. He doesn't say that he doesn't love them. He doesn't say any of that. Instead, he challenges them, and he calls them back to the main thing. What is the main thing? He uses the simple word gospel. And he's not talking about, by the way, the four books you find in the beginning of the New Testament, the gospels of Jesus that tell the story of Jesus. He is talking about the core message of the Christian faith. So, by the way, if you want to know what Christians believe, this is it. Let the cat out of the bag, right? What is it? Well, Paul gives it in in a nutshell, so quickly in the introduction, it's almost like we skip over it and hardly hear it. He says, the gospel is about the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Now, you notice what he says here. He doesn't say, oh, by the way, Jesus has come as an example. He also doesn't say, Jesus has come as a new teacher. And by the way, you need to listen to what he teaches. No, he says something that you hear in none of the other faiths. For example, in Judaism, you have the teacher Moses, right? In Islam, you have a prophet, you have the teacher Muhammad. But that's not how he's identified here in this verse. Instead, what he does is he says this, he He didn't, by the way, Jesus did teach, and he is a great example. But the gospel is that he actually came to rescue us. And by the way, no other major faith has their leader, the person who actually comes and rescues his followers. And you say, well, how does he do that? He says, well, he gave himself for us. He substituted himself for you and also for me. He he took the death that we deserve in a rescue mission to give us eternal life in the future and a new life in him right now that is like the life God had wanted to have when he created us. And this place with God, this status in your life, it's all of grace. It means it's a gift, right? And grace is when you deserve nothing, but you get everything. And that is what happens to us. I like the way the the reformer Martin Luther explained this. This is what he said. He said, so then, have we nothing to do to obtain this righteousness or this right standing with God? No, nothing at all. For this righteousness comes by doing nothing, hearing nothing, but rather in knowing and believing this only that Christ has gone to the right hand of the Father, not to become our judge, but to become for us our wisdom, our righteousness, our holiness, our salvation. That's the main thing. It's what Jesus has done, right? It's the gospel. He has done it all. He's given us a place in the family of God. He's given us a status that could never be taken away as, as loved by God. And by the way, this, he didn't do this as our teacher. Those teachings are great. I hope you learn his teachings. He did this by coming to rescue us. Now we are loved by God and children of God, all by this rescuing. Um, and I think that's good language for us, right? Did you, did you hear about the rescue that happened this week? 
It happened to this guy. His name is Mark Dickey. Mark went spelunking in Turkey in the second deepest cave in our world. It's a cave that goes 12,000 feet deep. That's way down, right? And while he was down there, he began to feel horrible, and he started coughing up blood, and blood was coming out the other end too. It was not pretty. He had climbed himself in, but he could not climb himself out. And by the way, that cave, it is so large, it has waterfalls inside of it. It has narrow passages that you have to sort of crawl through on your belly to get out of. This is what he said. He said, I kept throwing up blood. My consciousness was harder and harder to hold on to. I reached the point where I said, I'm not going to live. But his girlfriend who was with him climbed, they were almost 4,000 feet down, climbed over 2,000 feet up just so that she could talk on to somebody on the surface from her radio and tell them about Mark's condition. You know what happened? Almost 200 people showed up, EMTs, doctors, climbing enthusiasts from across the world, and they hung him in what almost looks like a cocoon. They had to set off a couple of explosions in the cave to open passageways wider. He did not help himself at all, but guess what? And by the way, from seven countries, they split up the sections of the cave, each taking about 500 meters each to be able to bring him out, which they did 10 days later. And you'd be like, oh my goodness, he came out alive. And the rescuers did, did what seemed like the impossible. They opened bottles of champagne. They, they had a celebration. It's amazing. Listen to what his parents they said, the fact that our son Mark Dickey has been moved out of Morka Cave in stable condition is indescribably relieving, and it fills us with incredible joy. You know, we love these rescue stories. Why? Because we've all been there. And what the Scripture says, what Scripture says is we all live there. And the problem is we've got ourselves into places we cannot climb out of. And the good news is there's, there's a rescue team. Now, I know what you're saying. You may say, okay, yeah, I understand. You're religious. That's a religious problem. You religious people feel this way, far from God and stuck with lives that you feel are burdened by ending in death and overwhelmed with shame and weakness. But, but ask yourself, if you're not a religious person, why do you think we have such insecurity as human beings? Where would all of that be coming from? Why do you feel like, like, uh, like you don't measure up even to your own aspirations? Why do you feel like then you either have to lower the bar or compare yourself to somebody who's doing worse than you are? Why is that going on? Why is there this low-grade fever of doubts about who you are and whether you matter in this world? Why would that happen? This gnawing sense that you haven't lived your life as you should or actually... You may tell yourself, as you could have, and really, because it's your life, it's now all on you. You see, hearing Mark's story, I heard it like a death and resurrection, right? Except his grave was 4,000 feet underground, and he was lifted up at no doing of his own. And by the way, yours is too. Yours is a death and resurrection story, all because God set his affection on you, all because Jesus came for us. He, he is the one who, who rescued us. And by the way, that's something that we need every day. He gives us a new name. He gives us a sense of purpose and meaning in our lives. He loves us to the end. By the way, despite whatever has gone down in your life or what you feel stuck in now, he lo his love is there, and it's all gift. This is the gospel 
And this is where we have to take refuge. And that makes me say, well, wow, if this is this awesome, why, why do I lose sight of it? How could I let go of something like this? If this is such good news, I want to stay with those two words, good news. I mean, they're great ways to describe the gospel. Here's why they're so great. If you think about the word news, it literally is just an announcement. That's what it is. Like, did you hear the news? The Miami Dolphins beat the Los Angeles Chargers last week, 36 to 34. Now you may, yes, yes, you may faint and fall out of the pew because we did not expect this to happen. And, but we should take this joy, brief and fleeting, though it may, I don't know, I hope it's going to be good, right? But let me tell you, it's already happened. You can't change the score. It's not going to happen. You can either be happy about it if you're a Dolphins fan. You see, the problem with the gospel is it's something we don't do. Here's Paul. He says, evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to convert, I'm sorry, trying to, what does it say? Pervert the gospel of Christ. Those some people were new Jewish believers in Jesus who said, yeah, Jesus is well and good, but once you come to him, it's really about you doing all this other stuff for God. And by the way, you've got a lot to do. There are a lot of rules. There are 613 of them they had that you had to measure yourself by, by doing good and being good. Now, again, you may think, well, I'm not under that law. I'm not a Jewish person. But in truth, ask yourself why you have, why do we ask ourselves why we haven't accomplished more? Or why do you ask yourself why you haven't gone farther in your career? Or why are you troubled with this addiction you have in your life? Because all of us live under this weight of, of shoulds and ought. You, you shouldn't be where you are telling yourself you ought to be able to do this. And you see, that is the law at work among all people, whatever culture on earth they come from. You see, the law is perverting the message about Jesus by telling us that we are what we do and, and, we, and what we have done. You see, our role in the gospel is passive. It's just like Mark Dickey in that stretcher, right? Who was cocooned and had to be brought to the surface by others. He didn't do it. I want to take you back to the rapper. His name is Flame, right? And I showed you the copy of the book, of book cover. I thought when I first had him, like, extra nose? How many nose am I supposed to say? But it's actually Latin, and it's extra nos. You know what extra nos means? It means outside of us. Outside of us. You see, what Flame discovered was what Jesus did is totally, it's outside of us. We don't do it. We can't, we didn't stop it. We didn't make it happen. We can't undo it. It's like that news, right? You can't undo it. You can only live in it. You can only see it for the gift that it is. And live in it. And the, the reason the Galatian Christians believed the lie that everything was based on their performance, that's like our default. That's what we believe by nature. That's what we sort of fall into almost at every turn, even though it's like, by the way, that came from the reformer Martin Luther. It's like, look, you know this happened outside of you. You know that what you do can't change this news. Jesus has already rescued you. And he's already given you life. 
You see, everything we believe depends on us. And so we believe it like this. We believe the measure of God's love for us at any given time is based pretty much on how we're doing at that time. So if I'm doing great, I feel like God loves me and he's in my corner. But if I'm not, well, I'm not so sure. But you see, this gospel, this news comes from outside of me, right? You get what you deserve in our world. And you've got to earn it. And it's all about what you're doing. Here's Brian Wolf Mueller. He says this, the law says do, the gospel says done. The law commands, the gospel promises. The law measures and judges, the gospel forgives. The law tells us how we ought to live. The gospel tells us that Jesus died and died with a marvelous and gracious purpose to save sinners. Both the law and the gospel are from God, it's true, but they have different purposes. The law condemns, the gospel saves. Do you see the difference? That's the main thing. Now our problem is we're living in a giant meritocracy. We're everything, wow, data, everything is being measured in your life, your productivity, especially how you're doing. And by the way, it's through achievement that you're told you can gain status. It's how we prove ourselves worthy, where we get what we have coming to us. By the way, I have my own life to live, my own story to craft. Okay, so we better get on with it. And it's all me, but it's also all on me, right? And by the way, we throw our kids into this from day one. Um, I was reading this book by a woman named Jennifer Wallace. You'll see her, I think, in the cover of her book, Never Enough. The subtitle of her book is When Achievement Culture Becomes Toxic and What We Can Do About It. By the way, she graduated from an Ivy League university. She knows about this stuff because she lived in it. And she saw what we're doing to kids and her to even her own kids. What she discovered was a study that revealed that it's actually kids from the wealthiest homes going to the best schools who have the highest achievements, that they are two to six times more likely to be depressed, have an anxiety disorder, or have a substance abuse issue. And you want to know why? Because they're being pushed so hard. She said they're actually on the scale, if you look at them, where immigrant parents we're children in foster homes, and we're parents, one or more of them have been incarcerated. They look like kids who come from those homes. And so she goes out to check this out. She cannot believe it. But the pressure we're putting on kids to perform is so intense. This is what is happening to them. They're doing three to five hours of homework every day. She talked to a young girl who was in high school who literally slept about three hours every night. She had so much work and she looked at her, she looked exhausted and beaten down. And she said, when are you sleeping? And she said, I try to close my eyes when I'm running the laps at track. Oh my goodness, can you imagine that? And you say, well, why are kids being pushed to do this? It's because this is what we, their parents, believe about life. We have to do it, we have to do it all. We cannot rest, right? And we certainly can't rest in what anybody else has done for us. And Paul says in this letter, look, if you do this, if you do this, it is no longer the gospel. It's no longer good news for these people. It's no longer positive. In your life, you're telling yourself, hey, it's true that Jesus died for me, but I really must do 
That's not the gospel at all. Then you have missed the gospel entirely. You're not even close. And listen to Paul what he says about this. He says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. As we have already said, so I now say again, if anyone, anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He says, look, they're telling you another story that it's all on you. He says, that is why. Actually, he says, they should go to hell because this destroys our lives. This is the stuff we can't live with. It's, it's why Jesus came and, and what his rescue is all about. And so he says, look, even an angel shows up. Don't listen to them. And by the way, this merit-based living is infecting our children. It will creep into your marriage. It will pollute your friendships. It will cause you to be cynical and jaded about the city in which we're living in and this country and the world in general. And over time, it will drain you of hope, hope for yourself and for everybody else. And so I asked, well, how am I going to remain in it? How am I going to keep the main thing the main thing? How can we rest in what happened completely outside of ourselves? It's this simple. We keep looking at Jesus. We keep looking at Jesus. We keep our eyes focused on grace. We nourish our kids in it and our spouses in it. We, we bathe in it every day. In chapter 3, Paul says it like this. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, they wouldn't, didn't stand at the foot of the cross. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, that a point in time came in which they realized, wow, Jesus did this for me. And I have a life with God that's all been given to me out of God's love for me and his affection. Right? We see the love of God poured out for us, and there we are reminded that the, the work is already done. That right? it, God, What God has done in Jesus is, is extranos. It's outside of you. You cannot lose it. What Jesus did for you and for me. Have you seen, by the way, and so God, what he does, I find, he leads little breadcrumbs all through our culture. And he's like, I want you to discover grace. I want you to discover how much I love you. You see the Barbie movie? Yeah, you see it. I went to see it, and when I was walking in, there was a man standing there, and he said, give me your man card. Give it over. Give it over. No, that, that's not true. But I did go in and watch it. And uh, what you may not know about, by the way, it's about Barbie, who's the perfect model that Mattel started giving to kids in 1959 and leading girls to believe that they should either be like Barbie or come to hate her because they can't. Right? She's in the middle of little girls' lives. But in the story, and by the way, in the story, Barbie wakes up to find she has cellulite. I'm like, yes, oh yeah, paradise is destroyed, right? Because she's never, she's ageless, she can't get old. Nothing can happen to her, she's always beautiful. But she has a problem, she's not. She has issues too. And so what she does is she comes into the real world, the one we live in. And in that real world, there is one scene that is only 23 seconds in which there's a breadcrumb of the gospel. At one point, Barbie sits on a bench at a bus stop and looks over to see an old woman. That's the old woman that she sees, right? And what we might think of the opposite of the beauty myth we have been told by Mattel, Barbie sees her and says to her, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. 
We've never heard this. She's 91 years old. And by the way, the woman looks back, and she simply says three words. I know it. I know it. Here's the message we don't expect. What? Right? One of beauty that transcends age and, and age wrinkles. And actually, you may not know it, but the, the co-writer and the director of this film, her name is Greta Gerwig. You'll see a picture of her. She sent out from California to Pennsylvania to bring a 91-year-old woman who is a friend of hers to sit for this short scene and say those three words. That's all she did. She'd never been in a movie before. She was a costume designer. And you ask, why in the world did she do that? This is what she says. The idea of a loving God who looks at you and says, honey, you're okay. You're doing okay. Is something I feel I need and I wanted to give to other people. Now, can you imagine what happened? The folks at Warner Brothers, they saw the film. They're helping her, right? All the producers show up, not just the director. And they're like, that, that doesn't fit in the story. Why is that in there? We got to be taking that out. They wanted it out of the film. And she stood before them. This is what she said. She said, if I cut that scene, I don't know why I'm making this movie. What is it about? She said, I love that scene so much. It's the heart of the movie. And you say, why would this woman take this image of Barbie and change it entirely? Why would she do that? She grew up in a house of followers of Jesus. She learned the gospel from a young age. She remembers one day she was with her family, and her family wouldn't get invited by Jewish friends, and they would go over for Sabbath, and they would have Sabbath dinner for them. And at the end of the Sabbath dinner, the head of the household stood up, and he just said, Aaron's blessing. You've heard me say it many times. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And it was right then that she got the main thing. She got the gospel. This is what she said. I remember feeling the sense of whatever your wins and losses were for the week, whatever you did or didn't do, your value has nothing to do with that. You are a child of God. I put my hand over you. I bless you as a child of God, and that's your value. I remember feeling so safe in that and feeling so like an enough. Do you see the gospel? And this is what God has accomplished in Jesus because he's rescued us. And by the way, he's coming to your rescue and he's coming to my rescue too. You see, you're not enough because you've accomplished enough this week or because you've attained status through success. You're loved by God. And Jesus made it so on a day in history when he died for you. And he left you in the process. Nothing you have to do. Only something you can rest in and live with as a gift. We're going to be asking, how does that impact a marriage? How does that impact the way I treat my kids? How does that going to impact the way I see people around me in the city? But today the question is, have you missed grace? Maybe you've been showing up at church like flame, right? And you've heard it, oh man, that's just more that's being heaped on. You got to do more. No, you need to hear the gospel in which Jesus has done it out of love for us as human beings so that you can have a life, a life of joy and peace before God and explore this world as one of his children as he created you to be in the beginning. 
Would you pray together with me? Father, so much, so many of us have had layers of stuff built up in our lives that it's hard for us to see how much you love us. And so, Lord, thank you for breadcrumb trails through basketball games and the stories of rappers and even the Barbie movie that is the reminder that there's more. There's more than that load that we feel like we're carrying, that treadmill that we're on. There's life and freedom.